Welcome back to the Big Amateurs of Monologues. My name is Richard Ford, and I'm your host. Just a real quick reminder that all of my podcast materials can be found at my podcast website, and that is bigamateurism.com. You can also check out my blog at cagerredux.com. That's C-A-G-E-R-R-E-D-U-X.com. And if you want to reach out to me, please feel free to do so. You can send me an email at rich at cagerredux.com. That's R-I-C-H at C-A-G-E-R-R-E-D-U-X.com. Today is April 20th, 2022, and in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more about sports betting. I mentioned that in my last episode with respect to Tom McMillan's comments to the American Council for Trustees and Alumni at a forum that was held last week. And just as I pressed publish on that episode, I saw an article that came out in Sportico on the Mid-American Conference's deal with Genius Sports, and I've talked about that a bit as well. I referenced it in episode 106, Wanna Bet, the NCAA's U-turn on college sports gambling. And that Mid-American Conference deal, the, the MAC Conference, that deal is really interesting because it presses the envelope on what institutions, NCAA member institutions and conferences and individuals can do with companies in the sports gambling space. And given the blockbuster potential consequences of that deal that the MAC has with Genius Sports, you would think that there would be a lot of curiosity out there in the sports uh, media world and in the sports punditry world about what's really going on here, but there actually has been very little discussion, and I just find that really interesting. And the more I look at this MAC deal, the more I see it as really a Trojan horse to get the issue on the table, to get it normalized, and uh, then to have a trail blazed by a really a lower level market participant. And that's what the MAC is. They're in the group of five. They're not running with the big dogs, the power five. But I see this as really uh, blazing that trail for the power five. And if the MAC is allowed to go forward with this deal, and we still don't know what the terms of that deal are, and that's important as well and goes to the curiosity question. But if the MAC goes forward with that deal, I think you will see the Power Five conferences diving in headfirst, and you're going to see some massive, massive contracts between Power Five conferences and uh, Genius Sports or other sports betting companies just like it. But before I get to that, I also want to point out something that's happening today that I'm going to be paying attention to, because there is another wave of state legislation that may be coming in California that is going to expand, potentially expand, athletes' rights and start to blur this distinction between amateurism and outright pay for play. And I just want to talk briefly about that, and then I'll probably come back and do an episode on on what's happening out in California. But in February of this year, a California state senator named Stephen 
Bradford introduced a bill titled the College Athlete Race and Gender Equity Act. And that bill is going to be discussed at a hearing in the Senate Education Committee today. The central thrust of the bill is that it it would require institutions of higher education in California that meet certain revenue generating thresholds to hold back a certain portion of that money to be paid to a certain classes of athletes in California, and it's tied to graduation. So there is a tie back to the educational justifications for this big-time college sports marketplace. And it looks right now that the classes of athletes that are most likely to benefit here are big-time football players, men's basketball players, and women's basketball players. These distributions would be built around essentially a degree completion trust fund where a certain percentage of money goes into the trust fund. And then if the athletes graduate within seven years, they could receive distributions. And I want to talk a little bit about where I see this initiative fitting into the broader athletes' rights movement. And if nothing else, it poses another potential threat to the NCAA's uh, monopoly over the marketplace at the regulatory level. And again, absent some federal intervention, we're going to see more movement like this, I think. And it will be interesting to see if this bill makes it out of committee and then moves forward in the legislative process and has a chance of being signed into law. It'll be interesting to see if other states start to follow suit here. So let's talk about this sports betting issue. And this article that I'm talking about is titled, Mac Asks NCAA for Clarity on Sports Betting Rules as Deals Loom. And this came out last Friday, and it's authored by Eben Novi Williams. I don't know if I pronounced the first name correctly there. But I found this article interesting. It was put out on a Friday, and I don't know if that was purposeful. I think that there wasn't a single event that occurred on Friday that would have spurred this article. But I know on my phone, I get these notices from Sportico, and this came across as breaking news on Friday. And uh, from the content of the article, it's not quite clear to me what exactly occurred, what event occurred that would qualify this as quote-unquote breaking news. But I think what I want to do is just go through this article and then raise some of the issues that tie back into my prior discussions on sports betting and the normalization of sports betting. This is really what's important, I think, is that you have this, this thing in the marketplace that the NCAA has held up really going back to the 1950s as one of the greatest threats to the integrity of college sports that college sports has ever faced. And they have propagandized the ever-living hell out of sports gambling and all the evils that are attached to it. And then, as I discussed in episode 106, the NCAA and the professional sports leagues filed a lawsuit in 2014 to proclaim the integrity of sports, college and professional, in that lawsuit against the state of New Jersey that resulted in the 2018 Supreme Court decision, Murphy versus NCAA, which uh, struck down a federal anti-sports betting law. And to this day, the NCAA has not backed away from its propaganda. They haven't said anything publicly that would lead anyone to believe that it has changed its 
thinking on sports gambling, at least at the public relations level. Of course, while at the same time, they're entering into a contract in 2018 with Genius Sports, who is in the sports gambling space. And people who have covered that aspect of the NCAA's hypocrisy on sports betting have gone to great pains to point out that the data that Genius Sports gets from the NCAA isn't used for sports betting. It's just data management. And I think that characterization really just plays into this normalization narrative. And the NCAA is in direct violation of its own policy statements and its own rules, I believe. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more here because Novi Williams talks about the governing bylaw that prohibits sports wagering and sports betting activities. And among NCAA legislation, which is notoriously confusing and difficult to comprehend, Condoleezza Rice, for example, described the name, image, and likeness provisions of the Division I manual as incomprehensible. That's true for a lot of the manual. But within that uh, caveat, the prohibition on sports wagering and the prohibition on even providing any information to any person or entity that's in the gambling space is about as clear as it gets under NCAA legislation. And so we're going to go through that language, and that is set forth in Bylaw 10, titled, Ironically, Ethical Conduct. <laughs> ethical conduct. Again, you just can't make this stuff up. So let's go through this article. And there is a, a byline underneath a photo of the MAC logo, and it says, NCAA schools and conferences can be paid by operators for advertising and customer recruiting, but it's unclear if they can also be compensated for selling official data to those same companies. So the message right off the bat is that there is legitimate ambiguity in this language that we're going to go through. And I think that characterization put in its best light is quite favorable to the NCAA and to the Mid-American Conference. But the article begins, the Mid-American Conference has asked the NCAA for clarity on the governing body's sports wagering restrictions, a request that could usher in a new era for betting in college sports. So I'm going to stop right there because that sentence is really important. And it's true. This is a new era or could be a new era. And that acknowledgement, I think, is somewhat inconsistent with the soft pedal byline that we got at the beginning of the article that really this is just a question of clarifying some language. This, this doesn't constitute a massive change. This is a massive change. The article then goes on to say, the MAC earlier this year filed a formal interpretation request with the NCAA according to multiple people familiar with the filing. There is no set timetable for a formal response or an announcement should the rules need tweaking, the people said. So this isn't a massive change after all. This this is just an interpretation request on a rule that is ambiguous, and maybe it needs just a little tweaking. <laughs> How do you respond to that? But the, the framing there suggests that this isn't a big deal. It's just, just a routine administrative process, and it happens all the time, and sometimes rules just need tweaking. And I would also point out that Novi Williams makes clear that this request, this interpretive request, was filed earlier this 
year, which means that this isn't breaking news. The article goes on. The conference is asking about Section 10.3 of the NCAA's Division I manual, which prohibits athlete, staff members, conference employees, and university leaders from gambling on sports. The section also says those people cannot provide information, and that's in quotes, to anyone associated with sports wagering which could be interpreted as forbidding conferences from signing pricey data distribution deals. Could? Could be interpreted? Let's go to to Section 10.3. And again, this is Bylaw Article 10, titled Ethical Conduct. And it talks about honesty and sportsmanship and all types of unethical conduct by coaches and athletics administrators and member institutions. And it has a couple of provisions on sports wagering. And I'm going to go through each provision under Article 10 here that specifically relates to sports wagering. The first is 10.02.1 titled Sports Wagering. And it says that sports betting is inappropriate and will not be tolerated. And it says examples of sports wagering include but are not limited to the use of a bookmaker or parlay card, internet sports wagering, auctions in which bids are placed on teams, individuals or contests, and pools or fantasy leagues in which any entry fee is required and there is an opportunity to win a prize. That would include every March Madness pool in the United States of America. And I believe it was this language that the NCAA relied on to go after Rick Neuheisel, the former UCLA football coach whose career came to a premature end because he was in big in a March Madness pool. And so this is a a militant opposition to any form of gambling, however innocuous it may be, however widespread and culturally normed it may be, as is the case with virtually all NCAA March Madness pools. The next provision of Bylaw 10 is 10.02.2, and it's titled Wager. A wager is any agreement in which an individual or entity agrees to give up an item of value, and then in paren, they say, among others, cash, shirt, dinner, in exchange for the possibility of gaining another item of value. So what that means is that even the friendliest of wagers, the most innocuous of wagers, where two people bet on a game and the wager is a t-shirt or a hamburger, you are in violation of Article 10 of the NCAA Division I manual, and you are subject to discipline and punishment. There is no ambiguity in that language. And when the NCAA specifically identifies cash, shirt, dinner, they are making very clear that this is a zero tolerance policy. No wager, no matter how insignificant, is permissible under this rule. And then down a a couple of provisions later, we're at Bylaw 10.3, and it's titled Sports Wagering Activities. And this is really the heart of the issue here for the MAC conference and this claimed ambiguity in the NCAA's position on sports wagering activities. And that is the title of this provision, 10.3 Sports Wagering Activities. And it reads, the following individuals shall not knowingly, 
participate in sports wagering activities or provide information to individuals involved in or associated with any type of sports wagering activities concerning intercollegiate, amateur, or professional competition. And then it goes through a list. Staff members, non-athletics department staff members. Let's see, who else? Conference officials, student athletes, anybody in the system that is subject to NCAA rules and is under the jurisdiction of the NCAA is absolutely prohibited from knowingly participating in sports wagering in any way, shape, or form, including the provision of information to individuals involved in or associated with any type of sports wagering activities. That's pretty clear. I don't know where, what the ambiguity is in that language. And I think the prohibition on providing information is a reference to a federal law which outright makes sports wagering illegal and match fixing or game fixing illegal. There are a whole panoply of federal laws that deal with sports betting, not just this law that was struck down in 2018, the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, the PASPA that I talked quite a bit about in episode 106. I'm not going to go through the history of it here. You can go back and, and listen to episode 106. But there are a variety of federal laws, federal criminal laws that make it a crime to transmit wagering information. And one comes from the Interstate Wire Act of 1961. So one of the initial harms that caught the eye of Congress in the 50s and 60s and led to this 1961 law is the value of information that is transmitted to achieve the goals of the sports betting industry and the illegal sports betting market. The information is crucial. And after that law was passed, a few years later, Congress came back and permitted the flow of information between states that had some form of legalized gambling. So that information was deemed not to be of uh, the same threat as information that was being sent into or from states where gambling, and importantly, that law did not, even with that qualification on information between states that have some form of legalized gambling, that information could not be used to permit the transmission of bets and wagers themselves, just information that may be relevant to any bet or wager that could legally be placed in any state where gambling was permitted. So this distinction between the gambling activity itself and the information is an important one because in this NCAA bylaw 10.3, they go back to the original language of that 1961 law before the information exception was invoked, and they are including an absolute prohibition on the information itself, and that inclusion is not accidental. I believe it is a direct product of trying to make this NCAA rule 10.3 as airtight as possible to prevent any association with any person or entity that's involved in the transmission of information that could be used for betting purposes. This is an outright complete prohibition, and I don't think it can be read as anything else. The article goes on. Those deals, and by those deals, Novi Williams is referring to these data acquisition deals, this information 
acquisition deal. They have become one of the prominent ways that pro leagues like the NBA and NFL are profiting off the booming U.S. sports betting industry. And the MAC took a major step towards replicating them last month when it inked a wide-ranging data and sponsorship deal with Genius. That partnership doesn't allow Genius to sell data to sports books right now, but that could change depending on how the NCAA responds, according to someone familiar with the deal. And I guess I want to stop right there because what's a couple of things that are interesting about that. One is that Novi Williams is talking about this deal based on what he has heard about it. We don't have the contract, so we don't really know what's in this deal. I argue that we should know. Given the import of this fundamental change in the business of big-time college sports and the encroachment into the sports betting space, I believe that the MAC has a duty to make this contract available to journalists for inspection and reporting. They can claim that, that they don't have to produce it because they're a private nonprofit entity as a conference. I think that's a weak argument, and I think you can make the case that they are a state actor as a conference because of the composition of its members. That's a, another discussion. But they, they should be transparent about this, given the gravity of this contract and the impact that it might have on the entire business of big-time college sports and the this transition by the power players, the power five, into this space if this MAC deal is deemed to be okay, according to the NCAA. The other thing that's interesting about this is that the pro leagues have really been setting the pace on this. And after the, the Supreme Court issued its opinion in Murphy in 2018, it's important to understand that the professional leagues in the NCAA were faced with a choice because an important element of that decision that doesn't get a lot of attention is that even though the U.S. Supreme Court held that the federal law, PASPA, was in violation of the Tenth Amendment because it, quote-unquote, commandeered the state of New Jersey to adopt the federal government's preferences and intentions with respect to sports betting, it did not say that Congress couldn't intervene and outright prohibit sports betting. And it's a very complicated, nuanced discussion in the allocation of power between federal and state governments. And you have this commandeering theory, and then you also have a related preemption theory. And under commandeering, the federal government is forcing a state to do what the federal government prefers it to do, essentially commandeering the state legislative process. That's different from the, the federal government coming in and saying, you are pro prohibited from doing anything in this space because we believe that only the federal government should occupy that space. And Justice Alito, who authored the majority opinion in Murphy, and I think it was a six to three opinion, he said, look, there's nothing stopping you from going back to Congress to make these same arguments to get a bill that gets it right. He said, it's not that the federal government doesn't have this authority, but the way they went about exercising their authority was wrong. So they have to go back and do it a different way. And what did the professional leagues and the NCAA do? Well, the, the pro leagues just decided to look, if you can't beat them, join them. And they just put that theory on steroids. And there was nothing stopping the NFL, the NBA, and the NCAA from marching into Congress in 2018, the way they marched into federal court in 2014, to 
impose their values on the American public, and they could have been asking for the kind of legislation that would have passed constitutional muster to achieve the same goal and to protect all the sacred values that they were championing when they filed that lawsuit against the state of New Jersey in 2014, but they didn't do it. Instead, the professional leagues almost immediately turned around and decided that they were going to exploit the ever-living hell out of sports betting. And as Novi Williams points out, because he wrote an article on this on April 5th, the NFL has a direct financial stake in genius sports. It's through a complicated type of investment called a warrant. They aren't actually shareholders, but they have the right to become shareholders through this property interest they hold. They are investors in genius sports, and they are one of the biggest investors and partners with genius sports. So they are all in. They are in head first in sports betting. And the NCAA isn't that far behind to anyone who's paying attention because that deal they did with Genius Sports in 2018 is a direct violation of the no information prohibition of bylaw 10.3. There is no way to reconcile that genius deal with the NCAA's own rules. And there's no ambiguity there. And as I discussed in episode 106, that op-ed by David Levy, who is the CEO of Genius Sports and the former CEO of Turner, who is in bed with the NCAA with the March Madness contract. But in that op-ed, Levy came out and, and said, I think, pretty directly, or at least he strongly suggested, that the reason that Genius Sports entered into a 10-year deal with the NCAA, which we haven't seen either. That's another document that should be out on the table. We should be able to look at that document to know exactly what that contract says and where it is headed. Because the way that Levy characterized it in his op-ed in Sportico is that the Genius was laying the foundation for the normalization of sports betting. And they wanted to do a long-term deal with the NCAA to have their foot in the door with the NCAA. I don't know how you could read that op-ed and come away with a different conclusion. I don't think there's ambiguity in that, just as I don't think there's ambiguity in the NCAA's absolute militant prohibition on any involvement with sports betting companies, as set forth in Bylaw 10.3. And then Novi Williams' next sentence is this, and this may be the most important sentence in the whole article. He says, representatives for the NCAA and the MAC declined to comment. Why is that? Why can't the NCAA come out and say what it would have been shouting from the mountaintops if the MAC had done this in 2017? And that is that the MAC is out of line here and we're bringing the hammer down on them. And the MAC's contract with the genius is an affront to the values of the NCAA and amateur sports writ large and the integrity of college sports, they would be pounding their chests, running to every journalist, running in front of every microphone, running in front of every camera to publicly preen and pose and profess their amateur virtue and their uh, condemnation of the sports betting industry. Yet in 2022, the NCAA declined to comment. They declined to comment. Maybe that should have been the headline of this article because that is just stunning. And it suggests that the NCAA knew all along what was happening here. And this raises another important issue. And this ties back to the red flag about the very existence of this contract before 
the Mac gets, quote-unquote, clarification on bylaw 10.3. The Mac went forward with this contract. The deal is signed. They are in the contract. And the way that Novi Williams pitches the nature of that contract and the status of that contract, yes, it's in place, and yes, there is data being shared, but apparently the Mac has not yet permitted Genius Sports to take that data and then sell it to sportsbooks and to casinos. And from Genius's standpoint, it's the sale of that information to the people at ground zero of the betting industry that is the centerpiece of their business model. That's the true value in this information. And we have this suggestion that that is not occurring, at least not yet. But there's no question that this contract is in place. And how the hell do you put a contract like this in place that turns the NCAA's value system upside down and inside out without first seeking clarification that that contract doesn't violate NCAA rules or its 70-year militant opposition to any involvement with the sports gambling industry. The article goes on, the NCAA receives hundreds of interpretation requests each year from conferences and schools, anything from individual athlete eligibility to larger division-wide bylaws. Most are filed through an online database, at which point the NCAA decides which staffers or committee can best review the request. Some are returned fairly quickly, others take months. Again, this really minimizes the importance of what the MAC is doing here. It suggests that this is just some routine ministerial administrative machination, some hoop that the MAC has to jump through. No, no, this is the Pope saying that God doesn't exist. This is the Mid-American Conference saying we are all in to the sports betting industry and the sports betting space. And that's going to take me to this next paragraph here, because this is really, I think, the most important part of this whole normalization process. So Novi Williams says, should the NCAA clarify that members are allowed to sell data through to sports books, that could open the door to massive deals for conferences like the Big Ten and SEC, whose football and basketball games are often more popular and attract more bettors than established U.S. pro leagues. Bidding that led to the NHL's recent deal with Sports Radar, for example, eclipsed $250 million. And the league's eventual deal included the right to purchase around $90 million worth of equity. That's it in a nutshell. And I'm, I'm going to come back to this. I just want to just briefly acknowledge that Novi Williams talks about some other things and how the NCAA is on the ropes. And I think it's a little cagey. He's a little cagey about characterizing the NCAA's deal with genius. It minimizes the true import of that deal. And it's in direct contravention of how David Levy, the CEO of Genius, characterized that deal in a Sportico op-ed. But he talks about some of the changes that the NCAA has made that could suggest a an encroachment into the sports betting space. But what I think this is all about, when push comes to shove, this is about this Mac deal being used as a Trojan horse for the Power Five to come in and start doing mega deals with sports books, whether it's Genius or some other company. And when 
Novi Williams says that this MAC deal could open the door to massive deals for conferences like the Big Ten and the SEC. And then he points out the kind of money that's coming from some of the pro leagues, which would have less market value, according to Novi Williams, than what the Power Five conferences might have. You're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars just to begin with. And of course, because the uh, genius sports of the world want information, the more detailed the information, the more granular the information. The better quality of the information, the, the more lucrative those deals are. So once the Power Five are in this space, and I think they're going to be, because I think what's going to happen here is that the NCAA is going to bob and weave, and then it's going to come out with some milk toast. Well, this doesn't appear to, at this point, violate any NCAA rules. They're going to come out with some horse hockey like that. The MAC is going to be able to go forward with this. And then the Power Five conferences are going to be in mad dashes to do mega deals with these sports data collection companies that are going to sell it then to sports books all over the country. And there's no telling what those deals will be worth. It, it, this is just a massive, massive potential revenue stream. And the big time college sports power players are not going to be able to say no to it. And I think implicit in how Novi Williams describes the potential value of the Power Five conference products and the information that they can provide to, to these sports betting companies, you, you have to look at the MAC and say, well, what's really in it for Genius Sports? Are people really going to be betting on MAC games? Sure, some will, may, maybe some local interest, but the MAC conference or any group of five conference isn't going to drive the sports betting market. That information is far less valuable because of the betting volume uh, among teams in that conference as compared to the Power Five. So Mac is, maybe they're trying to create a little bit of a competitive advantage. I noted that in my episode on this, uh, episode 106. And they're, they've always been looking for ways to try to close the gap between them and the Power Five. But in this context, I think the Power Five are going to be sitting pretty to take advantage of the the way that the Macs cracked this door open. The Power Five is just going to tear that damn thing down. That's where this is headed. And uh, a couple of other points I, I just want to make before I close this thing out. I, I talked about that uh, hearing in, in the Senate Judiciary Committee on July 22nd of 2020, where there was one component of it that was directed to sports betting. And we had Heather Likes, who is the AD at Pitt, and she was spewing the anti-gambling propaganda. And she was speaking for the ACC, I think in episode 106, I may have implied that she was speaking for the NCAA. I believe in her written testimony, she makes it pretty clear she's speaking for the ACC. Although Mark Emmert was at that hearing, and when, when he was testifying in the first part of that hearing about name, image, and likeness, nobody asked him about uh, the NCAA's position on sports gambling. But Likes, I think, seems to be genuinely opposed to this, at least at the individual level. It's not clear now in 2022 where the ACC stands on this. And I haven't heard anything from her. I, I, I did a Google search trying to figure out if she has made any public comments after this MAC deal was made public in March. And I can't find anything. So if she has feelings about this, I don't think that she has voiced them publicly, but it will be interesting to know what she thinks about this and where she sees this whole sports betting thing going in relationship to the in-system stakeholder uh, beneficiaries and the NCAA's values and the principles that they have been shoving down America's 
throats for 70 years now on sports gambling and how horrible it is and all the dangers of sports gambling. So, you know, you have a, a silence in the commentariat who you would think would be speaking up right now on this issue. And there's just a deafening silence. Where's Mark Emmert? In this article, Novi Williams points out that in his 2019, I believe it was his State of the Association speech, Emmert went on a little harangue about uh, sports betting. Where's Emmert on this? Where's Jack DeJoya, who's still technically the head of the NCAA Board of Governors? Where are all these principled voices in the NCAA governance system, whether from the Board of Governors, from the Division I Board of Directors, or from this transformation committee? And in that regard, where the hell's Julie Cromer? Julie Cromer is the athletics director at Ohio University. And on paper right now, she's one of the most powerful, important people in all college sports because she co-chairs with Greg Sankey, this transformation committee that everybody's looking to, to figure out where the voluntary regulation of college sports is headed and what Division One is going to look like. That's some pretty important stuff. You have to believe that if Julie Cromer is an athletics director in the Mid-American Conference, and the Mid-American Conference has just done a deal with Genius Sports that legitimizes sports betting, that she's on board with that. Well, why isn't anybody asking Julie Cromer where she stands on this? Does she buy into it? Does she agree with it? Does she disagree with it? How does it influence what's going on in the Transformation Committee? And in a similar vein, where's Greg Sankey? Where's Mr. Straight Talk? He is probably the most powerful person in college sports right now. And he always has an opinion on these things. Where is he standing up and saying either, yes, this is where college sports is heading and we need to just move on and get over it, or this is a direct affront to the principles that this entire organization has been built upon. And we have drawn a line in the sand and we are going to defend it because it's a principled line and uh, betting on college sports has no business in the business model or in the regulatory model. Sankey had an opportunity to talk about that in his interview with Paul Feinbaum on April 1st when Feinbaum was saying, what are the big issues here? Where's this transformation committee heading? What's the future of college sports? And if there was ever a time for Sankey to talk about this sports betting issue and the encroachment of that industry into the value system of big-time college sports. It was in that interview, and we didn't hear boo from Greg Sankey about that. You just don't talk about it, and if you don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. And I find it difficult to believe, actually, I find it impossible to believe that Greg Sankey and Julie Cromer haven't discussed sports betting and the max deal with Genius Sports. It's inconceivable. Yet their refusal to talk about it or even acknowledge it in these puff interviews is a tactic that makes it appear as if that issue simply doesn't exist. And that is part of the problem. And then you have this compliant sports media and mainstream media that just play along and it is as if it simply isn't an issue worthy of discussion. And then, of course, you also have the Power Five university presidents and chancellors, where the hell are they on this? And why aren't uh, people in the mainstream and sports media hounding them for comment on this issue, this fundamental issue of values, this fundamental issue of the mission of higher education and whether sports betting is part of that mission and whether you're going to allow that influence into the college sports marketplace and the regulatory model and the value system. Have we heard anything from a single 
Power Five University president or chancellor? And the answer is no. And that's in part because nobody's asking them. When we get these articles from ESPN or from Sportico or pick your sports journalism outlet, your, your news outlet, your entertainment outlet, they're not asking the university presidents what they think. They're not pressing Julie Cromer or Greg Sankey. Instead, we're getting these cryptic, vague, unidentifiable attributions from uh, a source with knowledge. So all of this will play out, but we've got a real problem here from a leadership standpoint, and the media isn't doing its job to ask these basic questions about what the hell is going on in the voluntary regulation of college sports. And I just think it speaks to the corruption in the entire business model, because by the same token, you have some of these same people, in-system stakeholder beneficiaries in the NCAA and the Power Five, all parroting NCAA-friendly, Power Five-friendly talking points to limit athletes' rights and their economic rights. So the, the Power Five is going to come in. They're poised to come in and do deals with sports betting outfits worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and they are still fighting to the death behind the scenes and sending in their lawyers and lobbyists to Congress to prevent these athletes from getting a penny above their athletic scholarships and true compensation or from, from being recognized as employees. And they're trying to put the genie back in the bottle on nil. And I think there's one more aspect of this very limited coverage about the normalization of sports betting that's really important to point out as well. And that is that the discussion so far has been almost exclusively about the this MAC deal and whether or not it complies with existing NCAA regulations when it's clear on the face of those regulations that it cannot comply. And it is in direct affront to both the letter and importantly, the spirit of those prohibitions on sports wagering and any involvement with any person or entity in that space, including the provision of information to people who are in the gambling industry. But what, what we don't hear here in those discussions are the rights of the athletes. And as I discussed in episode 106, there are substantial privacy rights, bodily integrity rights, basic human dignity rights, and civil rights in the accumulation of individualized data for sale to third parties. And that's a, a hot issue in America right now in the broader data collection marketplace, the big data. That's really what the discussions about Facebook and Google and Twitter and all, all of these information gathering enterprises, that's what it's all about. What rights does the individual have in personal data? That data, that information is of enormous value to a whole range of commercial interests. And these Google and, and Facebook and these other big actors in big data, they are making hundreds of billions of dollars selling our data. And that's exactly what is happening in the sports betting industry and these mega data collection companies just like Genius Sports. I think look at their data acquisition management and then resale the same way that Google and Facebook look at it. The difference is that when you sign up 
for uh, Google or Facebook, you are consciously entering into that relationship and you sign a, a terms of use agreement that gives those entities the permission to sell your data. Athletes don't have that opportunity. The athletes have chosen to attend a university in order to play a sport at that university. That is the truth of the relationship between the institutions and the athletes. And the athletes aren't giving permission to those universities to then turn around and sell very personal data about those athletes to third parties for profit out in a corrupt commercial market like the gambling market. Where is the discussion about the athletes' interests, the athletes' rights, and the nature of the information that's being sold? And I talked about the, the importance of biometric data very personalized private data that is of enormous value in the betting industry in terms of setting betting lines and odds and, and all those things. And what do these contracts say about that? We don't know. And nobody is asking those questions. But this normalization of sports gambling on college sports is just breathtaking. And it is a textbook example of how powerful institutions manipulate their messaging to get whatever the hell they want. And it doesn't matter that the NCAA has spent the last 70 years proselytizing against sports gambling or that it filed a federal lawsuit in 2014, putting NCAA assets at risk to pound its chest and, and proclaim its righteousness and its adherence to its values. And then four years later, it just does a complete about face on one of its core values. And we're just uh, discussing some clarity issues and some interpretive issues on a bylaw, this arcane bylaw that just might need a little tweaking. So let's just see what happens with that tweak. <laughs> that tweak could be one of the most consequential changes in the sports marketplace in the history of college sports. But yeah, we'll see. Maybe a little tweak here and there. All right. I think I'm going to wrap this up now and I'm going to pay attention to what's happening out in California. And then I'm going to try to make sense of this legislation and talk a little bit about it, I think. In, in the next episode and, and see where it might fit into what's happening in the broader athletes' rights movement. So again, I want to thank you so much for joining. It's always an honor and a privilege to have you. And I hope to have you back for the next episode of the Big Amateurism Monologues. Take care.